the world's economies run on their supply chains. Understanding them is the key to keeping global products moving. Welcome to Supply Chain in the Fast Lane, a series of business podcasts co-produced by the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals and Supply Chain Quarterly. In this series of episodes, we explore new transportation technologies. Supply Chain in the Fast Lane is brought to you by Here Technologies. Accelerate your business with location intelligence. Here now is your moderator, Supply Chain Quarterly's Managing Editor, Diane Rand. Welcome, thanks for joining us. Our guest today is Rob Haddock, recently retired Group Director of Transportation Strategy for Coca-Cola North America. Thanks for joining us today, Rob. Oh, Diane, my pleasure and looking forward to uh, today's topic. Well, with climate change top of mind for many companies and industries, where is the trucking industry today with regards to adopting uh, truck electrification technology? Well, I would tell you what uh, what we've been looking at and having conversations with a number of different you know, early providers of these technologies, probably over the last five, six years is, you know, the first question that always comes to mind for me is the source of the electricity that might be generating the power to generate the batteries or to fuel the batteries for the EVs. Uh, you know, I'm always curious, you know, the United States infrastructure grid, what's it composed of? Is it is it just something that if I'm still getting uh, electricity from a cold-fired plant or something that is burning a carbon material, am I just passing it upstream? Or is it something that's definitely a renewable energy, whereas, hey, it makes sense. I've got solar power, I've got wind power, et cetera. My general belief is that electric will replace many of the ICE vehicles over time, but I believe, and I don't know who's gonna do this, but somebody really smart with a long range picture should kind of say, here's the roadmap, here's the, the category of vehicles that we're going to work on first in these geographies that are supported by this power grid infrastructure that is not just moving uh, the problem up the supply chain by burning more coal to generate the electricity. Uh, so I have yet to see that master plan that is probably a, a 5, 10, 15, 20 year plan. But you know, somebody, somebody, some group should really start to frame that up because I think once you have a game plan, then you can start to get some alignment. And right now it's just a lot of hypothetical, a lot of maybe perhaps a lot of pontification. Um, and it, it is happening, but it's it seems very unstructured. So can you give us some examples of applications where electric vehicles do work? Are they mostly used today in urban environments? Well, I think of the closed loop system. I mean, you know, right now, if you're getting into an electric vehicle automobile, you are not probably planning to drive. You know, I'm in Atlanta, so I'm probably not driving you know, to Texas because the coordination of where would I get my recharges along the way is something that you have to really map out versus there's a gas station every few miles. But if you have a closed loop network um, and it's last mile or local mile deliveries, and it doesn't have to be trucking, it could be it could be buses, it could be taxi cabs, et cetera. I think those are the things where, you know, it's a mile radius of X. We know there's a range of 250 or something. And I know that I'm going to be coming back to a, a, a centralized domicile where I can put all of my my charging requirements in one place. 
I know there's been a lot of talk about larger vehicles being introduced to the EV environment. You know, where do you even start to put charging stations and how many do you need and, and how do you support the power across you know that length of haul? I think all of that stuff is so complicated. So why not work on something that is a very closed loop system first, get really good at that and then start to branch out? Well, this actually leads well into my next question about the lack of infrastructure, you know, uh, charging stations, et cetera, you know. How is that impacting the adoption of EVs today? And how long do you think before we see stations being built as a result of the infrastructure bill funding? Yeah, I've, I've heard little bits and pieces of that as to where do you put these things. And then, um, you know, some of the research that we've we participated in or, or gotten some exposure to is that some of these, you know, even small charging stations for a fleet of, you know, 10 or 20 trucks, the 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 power requirements are that of a small village and how do you start dropping these things in where it's not already stressing out a power grid that especially during the summer months could be really pushed to the limits uh so you know i continue to advocate that start start local start small figure it out before you start to branch these things out every few miles at, at every you know intersection of a highway um, uh, because the the infrastructure that we have today has taken over 100 years to get to this point, I, it's going to be a similar pathway, I think, for the electric vehicles. So, how are shippers responding to the use of EVs to transport their goods? You know, uh, what benefits are they seeing? For example, are they proving to be a good solution like for local deliveries? And I know you mentioned the closed loop. Um, and and how the last mile it, it I'm just wondering how shippers are you know responding to this. Well, I think there's a there's you know when you think about shippers there's shippers that weigh out before they cube out and then there's shippers that cube out before they weigh out. Uh, so if you're if you're moving liquids around uh, you know beverage companies of all types or you are in the canned good delivery business more than likely you are going to weigh out before you cube out, which means that if you are trying to implement electric vehicles, the, the battery weights are still pretty much a deterrent. You know, I've, I've seen where it could be five, six, eight, ten thousand 10,000 pounds. You have to then reduce your payload by that amount, which basically says, okay, now I'm shipping perhaps 15, 20% more trucks to deliver the same amount of freight, so in the end, did I really accomplish anything or did I actually perhaps drive up cost and drive up the uh, the environmental impact because I had to do that much more? If you're a, um, you know, cube out before you weigh out and that battery weight does not provide you with a deterrent, then maybe that's where things should be focused on first. There have been a few class eight vehicles introduced into our system but it's more so been on a local level where they're you know running running product between a production and a distribution center per se uh, versus you know going out on the road long haul or even short haul miles so the other part is that i think you know the life cycle of these batteries is you know 5 to 10 years the all the motors that are associated with those how quickly do they uh, wear out and need to be replaced I don't think anybody has the time or the miles on any of this equipment right now to really assess the long-term cost to maintain an ICE vehicle versus an electric vehicle. So 
it's it's great that we're starting in some places, but I think it's still too early to tell what these results are going to be. And it's such a small percentage of the total that um, you know the experience of one organization may be totally different than another organization. Uh, so more time and more density was, I think, is the only way, Diane, that we're going to know at the end of the day whether these were value added. Right. So I, I, that's why you had mentioned that it probably. Um, you know, class eight vehicles, it, adopting those won't be feasible for a couple, you know, first decades. And and those are good reasons why. But what about uh, autonomous vehicles in the near future? What do you think about that? Which type of vehicles? Uh, autonomous. Oh, the autonomous. You, you know, the I-10 corridor seems to be a playground, especially out in the West. And I've seen it growing along I-35 in Texas. Once again, though, it's it's all supported by safety drivers, and we've been you know involved probably now for five years with helping uh, some of these companies at least get some loads to trial with a safety driver. But I've yet to see a roadmap where somebody says, okay, this is going to be the first true autonomous vehicle run, nobody behind the wheel, and of course it's going to be the middle mile uh, scenario. I think from a hub to a hub, uh, but but where, when, and how many um, is still going to be that first big step. Um, and I know some of the companies have gotten in, and now they've gotten out of of the AV world. And then I think about it, even with um, a vehicle that I drive, or you know, now the technologies are in your automobiles. I know I have the ability to turn on these systems that allow me to kind of just sit back and relax a little bit, but uh, I don't. So I'm not even comfortable with it in my own vehicle and I'm behind the wheel. I don't see how many people would be comfortable with it in a large vehicle with 80,000 pounds at a high speed, at least for now, until we get some real proven technology that um, is foolproof. You know, the other concern is, you know, I always mention to the um, the folks that are testing this is that, you know, it seems like the entrance and exit ramps are probably some of the most precarious areas to navigate. Um, because if you just watch driving behavior today, there are so many last minute, oh, I have to get off and folks cut across multiple lanes of traffic or somebody's coming on to an on-ramp. Um, and, and can the autonomous vehicles respond to that uncertainty in the human behavior? So once again, I think it's, it's great, but I don't see it growing beyond some of these little pilot areas for the near future. As the EVs continue to de develop and hopefully someone very intelligent will uh, produce some sort of map and, and plan. Um, but while we wait for that to happen, are there any other transportation technologies that shippers and carriers should be investing in right now? Well, you know, some of the things that come to mind, you know, where where could you combine an EV and an AV? Um, and if you had um, a closed loop system where you have a yard, uh, a yard horse or a yard your, your, uh, a hostler service, you know, maybe that's an area where you you put it in because it's all inside the fence. And if you can figure out the technology uh, to work on that small scale where it's just moving things in and out of docks, you know, maybe that's a start uh, for some companies uh, just to get some learning. I think the overall area of dock and yard management, 
you know, aside from EV and AV, just the, the coordination of getting drivers in and out of docks, getting them loaded efficiently, reducing the amount of wait time that drivers are incurring because they're waiting for their upcoming appointment, uh, which I, yeah, I've called it slack time because you're basically just sitting there waiting for the next event. Uh, but so many, so many shipping and receiving facilities don't have very sophisticated dock scheduling, yard management tools. And I think some of the industry is finally realizing that this is a great area to put in some technology and start to take that waste out of the system. It gives back drivers time, which means more miles, which means if we're facing a driver shortage, we have the drivers perhaps, we just need to give them more time behind the wheel. Um, we still, and this is not necessarily in the trucking side of things, but it's just in inventory management overall. Uh, collaboration between shipping and receiving locations or customers and shippers, there's, um, there's not really a good connection. We, we talked a long time ago about things around continuous replenishment, uh, a lot of buzzwords 20, 30 years ago uh, about the ability to synchronize what do I have versus what do you need? I still don't think we're there yet. I know during the pandemic, a lot of shipments were, uh, they were sent out without product. They were underutilized payloads because customer ordered product X and X wasn't available and, and there wasn't enough time to get product Y as a replacement. So, you know, more technology in that space. So when we do ship a truck, let's make sure it's, it's maximized in terms of its payload. Rob, thank you so much for your time today. Such good information. We really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure, Diane. Anytime. Today, we've been talking with Rob Haddock, recently retired Group Director of Transportation Strategy for Coca-Cola North America, and this has been Supply Chain in the Fast Lane. Supply Chain in the Fast Lane is a co-production of the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals and Supply Chain Quarterly. This episode has been brought to you by Here Technologies. Accelerate your business with location intelligence. Please subscribe to Supply Chain in the Fast Lane wherever you get your podcasts.